since we were here. And since then, I guess we've been, oh dear, probably 30 weeks of the year since we saw you overseas in all sorts of different places and countries. And uh, that's the way our life is. Lots of travel, lots of countries, lots of churches. So you can carry on praying for us. I know that you do. And you can also receive our heartfelt thanks for helping us because we, we couldn't carry on. People assume many things. For instance, I'll just say this to you. We just came back from seven weeks in the United States and uh, Mexico. And what happens in some of these places, um, of course, you, you receive what's called an honorarium. Some places, they give you a gift. Uh, just to mention to you that uh, what we received on our recent trip did not even go halfway to uh, paying for our, all our journeys and we go the cheapest way possible. So you must never assume. For instance, the last church we were at in Mexico, where we, the, it was thoroughly delightful, we'd never been there before, a place called Rancho Blanco, and uh, we were driven out and I knew there would be two services, one straight after the other because the big area which is partly open air that they use is not large enough to take all the people at once. So they have two services. And um, unknown to me, uh, because I can't speak Spanish except a few phrases, they, uh, each service they took up a collection and uh, what the pastor did at the end of the service was give me this great big brown manila envelope that had been used, I don't know for what, and it was all filled with all these uh, small little coins and pesos because it's not a wealthy place and probably percentage-wise we received from that congregation ten times percentage-wise what we received in the big American church we preached in uh, in the last week. It's an interesting thing. I have discovered that where God is really touching people's hearts, he, he touches what the Americans call their pocketbook. Uh, English people call it a wallet. By the way, you men, uh, did you know that one of the contributory reasons for back pain as you get older is that you have, your, you have your wallet in your back pocket so your body is always compensating so you, so you must learn to put it somewhere else. <laughs> Am I not a mine of useless or possibly for some of you younger men might be useful information it will, of course, I know that some people's pocketbooks, wallets, are a little thicker than others. But <laughs> so I suppose, especially my wife's, 
Yeah. I'd hate coins. <laughs> anyway, so she gets all the change. But we've had a good, a good time with you, and we really are grateful for prayer and the way you care for us. And I know that there are changes taking place among you. Uh, I think it may have been last year that Paul and Chris first talked to us about the, the, the burden by the Spirit that they had about moving to Worthing. And, uh, of course, asking us to pray about it, and which we've done. And then I do not recall except Paul gave me a call on the phone and said that it was coming clearer to them that they must go. And of course that is a significant change um, in a church, um, but it is among the ways of the Lord. Um, and there's timing involved. There's always timing involved. And I suppose the most important thing to begin with is that this church was not God, was not Paul's good idea. You know, our world and the kingdom of this world is full of schemes and ideas. And unfortunately, the churches, the more westernized they become, the more full of ideas they become. And uh, I warn you very much, um, as not just here, but in many places we go, the days are coming where if you're going to live for Jesus, you will suffer. And the concerts won't cut it. And the new music won't cut it. In fact, if any of you know anything about church demographics, and we know quite a lot, because sometimes I speak in churches where there are great screens everywhere and the camera crew running around as I'm speaking. And the way that everything is being geared to a certain section of community, that is, certain section, not even of community, but of persons, a target group. And the target group is the young people. So let, let's please them. It seems like a good idea. And the results of church demographics is you get them till they're 25, until they're married. Then they drop out. And they're no longer around for 20 years. An interesting phenomena, if they, and during that 20 years, they make marriages, have children, bring them up chaotically. Because you must remember, church and Sunday school is not education only. It is community. 
with all the difficulties that that brings. All the difficulty. And uh, because community is a challenge, and you are living in a society, we are living in a society where community is increasingly a challenge. So you have the, the power of Islam. So in our community in Exeter, there is a, an, a building, for instance, that is just, uh, it was a, a carpet kind of showroom warehouse. Now it's being sold. And you can guess what community is trying to buy it and for what. And all the difficulties of a so-called pluralistic society. And it's in the midst of the ongoing change that River Church must find its identity. Must learn who it is. And you must learn. It is not good, it's not enough for you to be a good evangelical Christian who comes from an evangelical family, whether it is a, a, a long heritage, a missionary family, a, a, a minister's family, or it's, it's not enough. You must know that new wine is that which has been generated from the old vine this year. The old vine. I re remember watching a movie. Um, it's, it came, must have been 20 years ago now it came out. And it was set in California and uh, a young man um, somehow got involved. I think it was called A Walk in the Clouds. And it was about a vineyard in California. Uh, who was the guy who did all the Matrix movies? I think he was the star. Huh? Yeah, Keanu Reeves. That's it. It was him. And uh, the whole vineyard had been built up by this old uh, Spanish... Uh, Mexican from one one vine and in the end uh, the, the fire went through the vineyard and the vineyard is preserved because they managed to rescue uh, one uh, the, the old vine and they knew that they could build a whole new vineyard and you must remember this new wine new bottles new wine skin now, can you tell me what were the wine skins made of in those days? How, where did they come from? Usually, they came from goats. Usually. A newly slain goat. So, they knew that they must have a, shall I say, a crop of uh, goats ready for slaughter for the skins that were going to be necessary for the new wine of that time. Are you getting the picture? 
Are you applying it, for instance, to the removal of Paul and Chris? Are you applying it, you younger men, in particular to your lives, and you older men as well? Are you ready? Because there is a new crop of wine, but it, you must make sure it's coming from the old vine. That is one of the areas where I would have my doubts in some places to which we go. I do not taste the same holy, bloody, crucified wine. I taste a very, very, very wine light. L-I-T-E. You know, Coke light, this light, the other light, they don't always call it uh, Diet Coke, they call it Coke light. You know, and you can have wine light, you can have this uh, L-I-T-E. That's what I'm hearing, and I don't hear in the same ways, and I'm not harking back to some old time. But I want to ask you how the skins are created. How do they make a wine skin? A wine skin comes from death. Fresh death this generation. Fresh death of the goat. And if you know anything about goats in the Bible, you will know and you say, well, we're sheep. Yeah, but you, one or two of you, even in this room, you're a real goat. You really think you know you're a spiritual snob. Some are spiritual snobs. Some are snobs in other ways. There is an inverted snobbery. You know, the council house dweller who is very snobbish about living. You know, I, I was stunned one time with one man when he advised all his children, well, my, I was raised in a council house and this was a leader of a church, and, and my mother, council house, and he said to all his children, you use the government. You use them. Don't even, you know, you use the government. You milk the system. And I was absolutely disgusted. For where the gospel really reaches your heart, you give to the system. You don't hold back your taxes. You don't manipulate things. This is the heart of God. We're of another kingdom. But is there a new generation of goats here that are, have shed their blood <laughs> and their skins? Are they becoming vessels that contain the fresh wine that the Lord definitely from the old vine brings forth? Am I making sense as I say this? because this is the simple ways of the Lord. It's a very graphic illustration. I know that many of you are probably not wine drinkers. You're not interested in the stuff. You maybe never have even gone into a vineyard. Um, we lived in a house in Australia where we had vines. And I was never very successful because I, I did not know really how to prune them properly. And they always seemed to get disease. But... 
Do you know, I was sitting in a, a town in Cyprus, I always remember it, years ago, and I was sitting, reading, preparing for a, and I was under this great big, um, like a patio, but it, it was covered with a vine, that, uh, and the grapes were hanging down, and suddenly I was getting dripped on by these grapes, because they were just so overflowing with juice. And then, of course, I got talking to the owner of the house, and he said, oh, my grandfather planted that vine. Uh, th that vine th th has been there for a hundred years. 110, I think it was, 110 years. Here it is still, of course, it's been cut back, and things have happened to it. But amen, you know, our vine was planted by the Heavenly Father 2,000 years ago. I am the true vine. I am the real vine. That's what Jesus said, John 15. He was planted in this earth. Amen. And he brought forth the riches of his fruit, didn't he? And he said to his disciples, you know, his apostles, he said to them, and you're the branches, now abide in me. Abide in me. Hallelujah. And you will bear fruit. And now we move in to more than 2,000 years later, and uh, same vine, new generation of branches. Branches here in River Church, uh, going to bring forth their vine, uh, their wine. And how do you produce wine? I don't know again whether you've ever, who was that uh, lady that they, the Americans used to love? Um, she used to, she was a comedian and she'd have these shows. It was old black and white stuff. And um, Lucy. Yeah, and uh, I love Lucy, I love Lucy. And uh, some of them, it gives you some good, clean, sensible humor, you know, without anything flashy. But anyway, there's one of hers that I remember where she's sort of producing the wine and she's watching these people and they're stepping in, you know, and the ladies hoisted up their skirts, you see, and then they step in. Have you ever seen it? And they all start... You know, and they all, it, you know, they all start dancing around and crushing the grapes. And the house, the last house we lived in in Australia, uh, it had been owned by an old Italian family. And uh, there was these great big vessels. He made his own wine from the vines in the back. And of course that meant that he'd have to, he had a big vessel where he would tread out the grapes. You know, and so the wine is produced by the treading of other feet. You know, talk about church leadership. <laughs> church leadership involves getting trodden on. So that the, the wine can come out. I mean it. I mean it. I mean, I know I'm using biblical pictures and, uh, and, and so on and so on. But if you want to stay intact, you're never going to give any wine. If you want to be a cool dude, 
as a young woman and a cool mother and, you know, bring joy. If you want to be cool, if you want to be a cool church leader, forget it. Forget it. You're going to be trodden on. You're going to be abused by people. That's how the wine, and the wine comes because, of course, you're abiding in Jesus. And you, you see, I'm talking, to, I'm talking these things out to you because, of course, abiding in Jesus, I, 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 I'm, I really want to rebuke some of you men in a gentle way if you don't read. If all you do is sit there and fiddle with your wretched computer, did you know that you retain less than 30% of what you look on the computer? Do you understand that the professors and the leaders of scholastic societies in this world are desperately concerned because of superficial knowledge of many things as a result of simply using the computer? Reading requires concentration. I'm not being an idiot. I'm warning you about the simple fact that you're becoming programmable. You're manipulated by the music. You're manipulated by the screen. You're manipulated by the voice so that all the girls and all the boys all sing the same way. They're like peas in a pod with their hair so that your heart aches for something unique. Something pure, something clear. Do you know, I have friends who are ministers who speak Greek. Thirty years ago, this is what they said to me. Because you know the Bible talks about everybody falling before the image. The image. They said to me, it's going to be the screen. This is before laptops going to be the screen. Why so? Because I know Greek too. And they said, because you, Bernard, know what the word image is in Greek, don't you? I said, yes. Icon. Icon. Yeah. And so increasingly, everything will be to do with icons. And the icon will open the world to you. You click on the icon and it will give you the world and it will be the image, and the enemy shall come through that. You be careful. You become programmable. Have you ever been on a film set? I've been on several film sets. Oh, the skill of the director who just shows you what he wants you to see. But if you were there on the film set and you could see the whole picture, you could see. I can remember uh, one of the, uh, we were in a film set in, in Disney World in, uh, and, and they were filming a Christmas show of one of the famous lady singers, you see. And uh, Charlotte Church, yes, she was going to do some show some, it's several years ago now. And uh, we just happened to be, or managed to get round the back, and Charlotte was, was there with her beautiful dress and the lights and the camera, and uh, I happened to be round the back, and there was her bra showing, 
and her dress done up with safety pins and uh, you know she looked like an old tramp <laughs> from, from the back. That's what the devil wants you to see. He wants you to see the front, not the back. I'm, am I making sense? He wants just to direct your attention. Propaganda, propaganda, propaganda. What's on the screen? You don't see the microphones. You know, how do they do it as they're, you know, there's these people having their chat in the, in the movie, Downton Abbey. You know, you can just see them conversing with one another. When you can't see the cameraman moving along and the other, the, the one who, the boom mic, and he's got it and he's in there and he's got to keep his distance that he knows he's got to be four feet away and so on and so forth. We're being propagandized. Don't you think for one moment, brothers and sisters, that we are not, that we are aloof from it. It is happening to you. We are, you know, I looked at these trousers I've got on today and I suddenly thought I bought them 20 years ago in Singapore. And anyone who knows anything about fashion will know they're at least 20 years old. How? Anyone tell me? Knows anything about fashion? It's all right. It's got two pleats. Because the two pleat went out in about 2000. And they left, you were left with the one pleat. And now for about the last five years, you have no pleat. You see? I happen to know about that, not because I'm, I'm an uh, aficionado of fashion, but I just know about these things because I observe the way that we're being manipula manipulated. Do you know, it is incredible. That's why, you know, it's very good to go to the United States, you know, especially places like California and Florida, because last year's colors are now in the second-hand shops. You see, so you can, you can almost keep in fashion. <laughs> you understand? Because everybody's being manipulated. And here we are. We are the kingdom of God. We are the people of the Spirit. We are to be people of the old vine. We've got to make sure that we are abiding in the vine. Now, can I ask you how because you men and you ladies, some of you ladies are much better than us men at this. You read. Reading engages your imagination. The TV does it all for you. Reading engages your imagination. That's why you mothers, you young mothers, read with your children. Ration the time they look at a screen. Ration it big time. Read with them. You say it's time consuming. Amen. And let them talk about the book. And as they begin to read, read with them. Take so that their, their whole person is being engaged. It takes you into another world takes you into the world of, the, of, of whatever the book is about. Ask God to show you what literature to read. Uh, literature of things that are morally good, where righteousness wins out in the end. Not the, the 
nebulous, confused world of J.K. Rowling. That's a confused world. What is light? What is dark? What is righteous? What is unrighteous? What is truth? What is error? You know, everything becomes sort of a, a mishmash. It is all part of the propaganda of the kingdom of this world. We are being programmed. And people are walking in darkness. Jesus, was he foolish? Was the, were the Bible writers? What did it mean? They walk in darkness. They don't know God. I am the light of the world. That's what Jesus said. I've come to open your eyes. I've, taken, I've come to open your ears so that you see my kingdom and you see my ways. You see the truth and you shake off the shackles and the bondages that I have to get a better house. I have to get my rights from the government. I have to change my clothing style. I have to do this. I have to do that. You begin to realize that you're imprisoned in a system. I must get a better job because we need a better income because house prices are rising and so on. And so God, in any possibility of him caring for you, supplying for you, doing miracles for you, is squeezed right out. So God becomes three letters in a book, an idea that we adhere to. And there is no warmth, there is no throb, there is no vitality, and we are dry. And that means if we're dry, then our church will become dry no matter what idea you can. The skins will become dry wineskins. So if anything fresh from Jesus comes in, and you must understand, this happens, and this is an explanation, why when the real living Jesus life comes into you, he will burst that old wineskin of your habits, and that old box, and con he will burst it. He will break through these things. Hallelujah. Such is his determination, his loving determination that his vine shall continue to grow in the earth, that Jesus will be in. And he will be here, he will be, but I, I want to say this to you all, that new wine is the result of the crushings and the new skins are the result of a fresh batch <laughs> of slaughtered goats. <laughs> and I know it sounds a strange thing, but hallelujah. You know, there are, God is wanting to have new, new, new. What we've got in some quarters is new ideas. But, for instance, new ideas are not enough to carry you forward. It's, it, there must be this discovery for yourself. So I would ask you, 
to really examine your heart. Where does it all come from? Where does the reality of the kingdom of God and the sight of Jesus, where, where do the reality of him really, where does it come from? It comes from the Spirit. But how do I become a man of the Spirit? You young men should have two great desires in your life expressed in, in one way. Oh God, I want to be a man of the Spirit. Number two, oh God, and it's utterly connected, I want to be a man of the Word, your Word. A man of the Word, a man of the Spirit. And let me say this to you, if you want to be a man of the Word and a man of the Spirit, you'll have to be a man of the quiet place. There's no other way. You are a fool if you think that there's another way. No king is made without the quiet place. No king called Jesus is made king without the Nazareth. No king. No David comes to the fore to defeat Goliath except a man who was a man of the sheep, a man of the quiet place, a man who learned God, who found God there on the hillside, who dealt with the lion and the bear, man of the quiet place. You are living in a dream if you think. And I, this is what grieves you when you realize and you say, but I'm not there. Begin to get an appetite. Ask God for an appetite. Ask God to give you a hunger and a thirst for his wine. Ask God for a hunger and a thirst for to be a man of spirit. You see, what do you mean, Bernard, man of spirit? A man whose first sensibilities is where is God in this meeting? What is God saying to us? And we are embarrassed and we want to push him to the side because he challenges us, he squeezes us and, and we want to look somewhere else. So we do our hair or fiddle with our phone or we pick up our Bible and look elsewhere. We do this and we do that and do the other. Anything to avoid getting squeezed, we will go to a neat, tidy church where everything is all mapped out for us and done for us. Don't take me to a church where I have to get involved and it costs me. It's amazing. I ought to say to you, by the way, that I am only speaking spontaneously to you this morning, not what I got up to say. But I felt that my wife read that, and I haven't conferred with Paul or Chris or anybody. Neither have they said anything to us. But there is something that God wants to do for you to give you an open door an open door into something fresh, alive, and dynamic. 
He wants you to be so much branches in his life so that his life comes into you and pulsates in you by the Holy Spirit so that you become a person of the Spirit and that is inseparable from a person of the Word, truly. I will go so far as to say this. Unfortunately, the churches of today, and I'm generalizing very unkindly, The churches of today are basically divided into two types. One are the heavy evangelical types who are word, 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 doctrine, 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 correct, 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 correct. This is what we believe. This is what believe. But don't let me feel anything. Your feelings are dangerous. Experiences are really dangerous. Then you've got the other half of the church that which some people would roughly call charismatic churches, and it's all, oh, I feel him in my hands. I feel him in my feet. I feel him. You see? And then this lot despise this lot, and this lot look at this lot, the word lot and say, look at them all in their doctrine, you know. But a man of the Spirit and a man of the Word, they go together inseparably. And you only become man of Word, man of Spirit, woman of the Word, woman of the Spirit. And by the way, you say to me, Bernard, why are you saying so much about men? I'll tell you why, because Jesus never called women. Because he never called women, he called men. And he sometimes called men more than once, again and again and again. And why did he not need to call women? Because they followed anyway. They followed. They loved him. This man had reality, though some of them hated him. But he had reality. And they followed and they, uh, oh, give me a man. It's like you, you women. You know, you know, old Campbell Morgan tells of a fine single lady, beautiful woman in his church, 55 years old. He'd known her for years, and, and uh, he tells the story of saying to her, uh, getting bold enough to say, why did you never marry? She was a help in the church. She was a strength in the church. She was a, you know, and she'd been there for years, and beautiful woman. Why did you never marry? And she looked at him and said, because I never found a man who could master me. (laughs) Now Now there's a little word for you, because I know ladies long to be mastered. In a loving, tender way, a man who will bear them, a man who will carry them, a man who will listen to them when they have something, a man who will not overpower them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And Jesus is looking for a bride, you know, in our day. And you must go forward. And God is giving to you an open door of fresh things that lie ahead to you, for you. But you must be prepared for change. You must be prepared for the sense of the Spirit to grant to you a spiritual responsibility so that you become those who seek the face of God what is your old wine, Lord? I want your, the wine of the life of Jesus in the 21st century. 
all encapsulated in and me holding that wine. I'm an old generation, aren't I? Uh, I'm not old, I'm older. It, it, there is a distinction, but the fact of the matter is, one of the things that I realized a long while ago that the real, Lord really blessed me with, he took me to the old streams. You know, I was reading books when, before I was married, written by the old missionaries. And the old people who'd known revival 200 years ago. And I saw a quality and I found an uncanny thing. An uncanny thing. Well, it's not really uncanny. I found that this person read this person. And this person read this person. And this person read this person. Spanning over generations and hundreds of years and they were sparked off by this person so you begin to discover that it's the old vine the glorious Jesus vine who is the real vine and he's a appearing in his branches in the days of Wesley in the days of Whitfield in the days of and lots of unnamed people the same life and you know uh, last weekend we discovered there's an area that we know where, do you know, a hundred years ago there was a revival. Have any of you ever driven down into, into uh, Devon and gone through an area called the Blackdown Hills? Have you ever noticed that side? Now, I first read about the Blackdown Hills about 50 years ago. And I read about it because a man named G.H. Lang, in his book, uh, one of his books, he wrote about a time of revival little villages in Devon in, in an area of hills somewhat cut off from the rest of Devon and God moved there and there are churches there today up in those villages that were built in those days because God sent his spirit and then last weekend Hazel was talking to one of the elders uh, at the Roar of Fellowship where we were doing the conference and this elder we don't know well and he said my daddy Baptist pastor he's retired now but he he saw God he was part of that move in his young in his youth in the Blackdown Hills and he became a minister in the Blackdown Hills are you seeing what I'm saying it's linear it's connected it's joined together amen the same marks are there Praise the name of the Lord. Now, I haven't even opened my Bible yet, but everything I'm saying is from there, isn't it? All these scriptures. But I want to leave you with this, this verse that I left you with last night. And uh, I want to take, because God really quickened it to me, because I know he's saying to you, all of you, this is in Revelation chapter 3, because I'm going to stop, because they've had the kids long enough out the back there. And, all the things that go on. But here it is, verse, is, this is Revelation chapter 3, and this is verse 7. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write the, the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut. 
who shuts and no one opens. That's Jesus. Jesus is in ultimate control. Take heart. Take heart. Take heart. Jesus is in ultimate control. Jesus speaks. Jesus opens up the door to a future for his people. He's speaking to the church at Philadelphia. He says to them something very particular in verse 10. You've kept my word about patient endurance. And then he says this very important thing to them. Right in the middle of verse 8, I know that you have just a little power. Does that fit you? So he knows that they're not great experts. They're not flashy with expertise and technique. I know that you have a little power. Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Verse 8 says at the beginning, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. And I say that to you, every man in this room, God has set before you an open door. Every lady in this room. And let me tell you where the first door is. It is in your closet. It is in your quiet place. Terry alluded to getting up in the morning and reading. I have set before you an open door. I want to say to you ladies, do you mind me doing this? When you're at the kitchen sink, don't complain. When you're handling the children and they're being difficult, don't complain. Don't be highly dramatic about it. This is part of life. It will pass. God sets before you an open door at your kitchen, at the sink. This is what I have discovered. I have discovered this years ago on the planes, in the airports, here, there, and everywhere, for my life is different to yours. And I discovered he has set before me an open door into his presence, into the reality of his sanity. And when you are at work, some of you, busy at the computer and laboring away among sometimes difficult people who are not seeing what you see and do not care what God says to you, do not overcome, be overcome of evil. Overcome evil with good. I've set before you an open door. Look at my face. Look at my face and then look at the person you're talking to. Because if you look at Jesus' face and then look at them in the light of Jesus' face, do you know what you will see? You will see some semblance of beauty even in the wretched one, the one who's being so horrible, the Lord Jesus will help, he will be light 
for he is light, and he will help you to see that person with a shade of light that you never saw before, and you will see a secret beauty that they have the image of God in them, impaired and ruined as it is, and you will find that with that will become a, a, a certain honoring of them and a caring of them. Amen. <laughs> And he's set before you an open door. So if you're one of those wakeful people, or if you're the children are waking you up in the middle of the night, he says to you, I've set before you an open door into my sanity, into my kingdom, into my life, into my balanced mind. Hallelujah. Don't we need a balanced mind? We go crazy. Do you know the essence of madness? Seeing one thing only and everything else in the light of that only one thing. And you become obsessed with one thing. That's the essence of madness. And all we often need is just a time where we enter through that open door into his presence and he gives us balance. We see this biggie, this big problem, this thing that's such a, a weight on it. We see it. It's not so big after all because we see it in context. Making sense? Making sense? I've set before you River Church an open door. Hallelujah. He's set before us. and I don't know, and I'll stop very quick because of the kids and that. But I, I, I'll, I'll make a little quick appeal. And I'll just ask, if anyone wants to say, yes, Lord, I want to be a man of the Spirit, or woman of the Spirit, woman of the Word, woman of the quiet place, someone who, who goes, you say, what, a quiet place? The quiet place? You know, does that mean going into the closet, you know, having a lengthy quiet time for five hours? No, that's not what I'm talking about. The quiet place is everywhere. That's what I've discovered. It's not just the closet. The quiet place is in your office. It is that place into which momentarily you can go and find the quiet and repose that Jesus is yet on the throne. And he loves you. And he's working. And all that consciousness begins to suffuse you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, let's, anyway, well, I won't pe ask people to come out the front unless you want to. But let's stand up. Is that all right? Let's just 